from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, it's a joy and privilege to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray as we look at uh, this text, Psalm 121. Father, we hold intention uh, sometimes that um, we struggle and suffer and experience um, harm from other people, and yet at the same time, the truth from your scripture that you take care of us, um, that you protect us. And I pray that this psalm this morning helps us to live in that tension well, to give us understanding uh, and ultimately to give us confidence that you love us and that out of your love, you care and keep and protect um, and lift up. And so help us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever had one of those experiences where uh, afterward or in the midst of it, you sort of say like, oh no, what am I going to do now? Because something has gone wrong. Something um, is in the mix that you don't know how to get out of it. And maybe uh, like me or other people uh, in this room, you have been doing a little more of that over the past year and a half or so with the, the pandemic, with the constant changes that are happening. Like, what, what is going to happen now? What am I going to do? How am I going to address this new situation? One memory that I have that was very acute was uh, my little girl, Sophia. She's nine now, but when she was about three or four, we were at uh, Stone Mountain, me and my wife, two kids, and a couple of other family members, and my wife was thirsty. She said, hey, I'm going to go get something to drink. Do you mind watching uh, the kids? Um, keep an eye on them. Of course, I will keep an eye on them. So she leaves, and uh, a couple minutes later, I failed to do my keeping my eye on the kids, and I noticed that my, my three-, four-year-old little girl is gone. I can't find her. People are starting to gather, so there's people all over the place. And I start panicking, and you're doing those like quick scan, like, okay, the next scan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find her. And sure enough, that didn't happen. So then I start moving to like the sprint out, you know, 30 or 40 yards. Maybe she'll be there, come back. Maybe she's come back. Uh, no, she's not there. Sprint out again. And I'm thinking in my head, like, what am I going to do if I don't find her? Like, how am I gonna tell my wife that the one job I had, which was to keep my eyes on our children, that I failed at that? Now, that was acute. Uh, that was a sort of special circumstance. And let me, we did find her, by the way. I should let you know that. But as I, think, uh, as I think on those situations, they really are about a loss of control. A loss of control. And I think it's something that, that I, that maybe many of us hate more than anything else in this world. 
And I, I know it's not always that serious. It's not always that acute. Sometimes it's more serious than that. But often it's like this dull feeling of problems that can't be fixed, that we don't know how we are going to get out of them or what they're going to look like in six months or a year or even further out than that. And this psalm, Psalm 121, speaks to that reality. It's not as, as heavy as a psalm of lament where the psalmist is just sort of grieving in mourning before the Lord uh, because of some sort of situation that the psalmist is in. And it's not a psalm that's as straightforward or clear as a psalm of thanksgiving, which is just constant praise to the Lord and thanksgiving for something that he has done. It's more about a search for confidence. How can I know that you are there? And that's where I want to go this morning. How can we look to God in confidence when things feel uncertain? And there's really two points or two ways that I want to do that. The first is by uh, understanding why does he keep us? Why does he protect us? And then secondly, how he keeps us and how he protects us. But before we do that, I want to make two observations about verse one. As I was thinking about the psalm this past week, these, these two things just kind of hit me. Uh, Two things about verse 1 that I hope help us understand. So verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Observation number one has to do with hills. And I want to make this observation because I think that we have a hard time understanding really what the psalmist is saying here or or what hills actually mean. I was in uh, Denver a few weeks ago uh, with, uh, uh, many of you know, obviously, Don Alden. We were there together. And uh, my hotel room at the Westin in Westminster looked out to the foothills of Georgia. And when I look at the hills, the only experience I really have is like, oh, they're so amazing. They're so beautiful. I do not look at the foothills in Denver or here in North Georgia and think to myself, like, where, do, where does my help come from? Like, those things look scary. Our experience in the West, because of safe things like houses and cars, uh, when we travel and drive around and hike and those kinds of things, sometimes we don't know what to, to do with a passage like this where hills represent something different. And so we have to kind of get out of that context of how we think about hills and try to create some other idea. Maybe it's even, I was thinking about this, maybe it's even like that early experience in the pandemic, like two, three weeks later, where you went into the grocery store for the first time and you felt so exposed. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is just me, but I remember I was like, I'm going to go late. There's going to be less people. You know, maybe you were wearing latex gloves and the mask and you still felt like, oh my goodness, I'm exposed. And there's that fear that sort of creeps in. Or maybe think back to when you were in elementary school or middle school and you went camping for the first time and everything was fun until at night and you realize like how paper thin the walls of your tent are and you start hearing the noises of the animals and you start to think like, am I really safe in here? It reminds me, just as a quick aside of the Far Side um, cartoon, I don't know if, if, if you've seen this or remember this, where three adults are sleeping outside uh, of their tent area and there are two cartoon bears looking in with big wide eyes and the caption at the bottom is just sandwiches. Um, And and again, it gets at that idea of like, there's exposure. 
right? There, there is, uh, there's fear there, and that is one of the things that uh, is being presented here. And it doesn't matter what the situation is. The psalm uh, transcends this idea of physical danger and points to a troubled soul. Second observation, as I was thinking about this uh, this week, is this idea of help. So I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And here's the observation I want to make. Asking this question in and of itself assumes that the author knows that they need help. It assumes it. The author would not be asking the question, where does my help come from, if the author didn't know that they are in need, that they need help. It is the opposite of how a lot of us are, of how I am. My whole life, I think, is designed to not need help from other people. And even though we preach against it uh, in our circles, that idea of like God helps those who help themselves. It is a baseline in our operation, uh, how we live in life. But I want to make this statement as we move along in this psalm uh, that this psalm is meaningless if you are not in need of help. If you are not desperate for Jesus. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Do you know that you need help? Like the psalmist knows it so clearly here in this psalm. And if you haven't been in that situation very much, I think it's why it's a blessing to be with Christians who are walking through hard times. It's actually a blessing, I think, of being able to gather together and sing songs together and listen to the preaching of the word together and to, to read the scriptures out loud. Because even if we are not in the midst of needing help, we are able to look to our right and to our left and know that that person is going through tough. And look at the way that they're trusting the Lord. Look at the way that they're singing to God. And you know that they're going through an extremely difficult time. It's the beauty of gathering together for worship is we are reminded that we are all in that place. We are all in need. I lost a friend at the beginning of last year to uh, lung cancer. I sat with him. Um, I had the privilege of, of sitting with him in his last uh, treatment. And so I've reflected a lot. We weren't able to celebrate uh, his funeral until a year later. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about him. And one of the things I think was interesting and helpful is that he had this attitude. He, he was scared. He struggled. But he had this attitude at the end of the day that I've done everything that I can. It is outside of my control at this point. But I can rest in knowing that God knows what he is doing. I was able to participate in a, a believer needing Jesus and to grow and to learn from that. And that is the beauty of, of community, of gathering together. But here's one of the most important things that you can learn in life as a Christian, that the sooner that you realize that you are not really in control, the more confidence actually that you can have in God. And when you have more confidence, you are able to experience joy. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time, finding the way of confidence in the Lord. And again, why he keeps us and secondly, how he keeps us. Because there's this key word here, I don't know if you caught it, that's mentioned six times just in verses six through eight. It's a short passage. I'm going to be reading them a lot, but um, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep 
your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And to back up to verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So why he keeps us and how he keeps us. It's a simple answer, I think, as to the why portion of this. But it is a hard one to believe. It's simple because it, it's, and we've already sung about this this morning, it is because God loves us, because he delights in us, because he finds us valuable. It is what is at play in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that because he loves us, or I'll just read it, this is in the, the front of the handout. See what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. But we struggle with this idea because we don't believe that it's true. We see ourselves as unlovable, even though the Bible over and over tells an opposite story. And here, I think, is the interesting thing about Christianity. I was a campus minister at Emory University for a number of years. And I had a lot of conversations with students who, who weren't believers, but you know, may, may have been interested or wanted to just kind of get together and talk about God. And I think most people think that people oppose God because they are not convinced that God is worthy of love, right? They have some sort of opposition to who God is. He's not going to get my love. And that's our, our principal way of thinking about why people reject God. But I found over the years that most people oppose God because they don't think they are worthy of God's love. And so most of those conversations, maybe you talk a little bit about some sort of problem with evil or the uh, possibility of the resurrection, and you might talk through some of those things, but at the end of the day, they would uh, say something to the effect of like, well, besides, God wouldn't know what to do with me. I've caught myself saying that. God wouldn't know what to do to me, or, or maybe, man, I'm glad that I, I'm in. He's stuck with me now. Even sort of that mentality and that thinking is communicating that I don't think that God actually loves me or delights in me. The reality is that you do not get to God unless you see God desiring you in spite of sin, in spite of shame, in spite of depression or anxiety or harm that you have experienced, that he really, really delights in you. Even when you think that there's no possible way that anyone could delight in you. It's one reason why I love uh, several different children's stories. Like the Giving Tree is one. Another one that I love, and uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've heard this before, but the Runaway Bunny. Margaret Wise Brown, 1942, writes this story about a, a, a bunny who's personified, obviously, that wants to run away. And the mother is uh, communicating uh, to its child that even if you run away, I'm, I'm going to be there. And so I'll read just a, a couple of, of sentences here. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said the mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. 
And the little bunny keeps coming up with these things to be to try to get away. A rock, a crocus, a bird, a sailboat. And the mom keeps coming up with uh, how she will pursue him. If he becomes a rock, for example, she is going to become a mountain climber. And so on and so forth. And when I read this illustration as an aside real quick to college students, I, I did realize, like, well, maybe this is slightly creepy. Like, they're trying to actually get away from their parents, and this is an illustration of one that will not let them go. Um, <laughs> but whether it's the giving tree or whether it's the runaway bunny, the message actually is very beautiful. That running away in this scenario is actually dangerous for the bunny. And the mom is going to be present no matter what so that she can keep and protect, and love, and care for. It is a love that we long for at the end of the day. It is a love that we are looking for in so many of our relationships with one another. It's a love that we find on display so clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the story of the Bible, constant running away, and God continually showing up, saying, I am going to be here to protect Well, how does he do that? How does he keep us? Well, first, verses 3 through 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, just a real quick grammatical thing here that I think is important is the you here in these verses, the your is second person singular. Often in the Psalms, when we're... uh, you know, you, you see the word you, it's talking sort of uh, abstractly or about the group, about the community. But here, there is a zeroing in. You, as an individual, experience these things as a result of your relationship with God. And we find in verses 3 through 4 that we are kept through uncertainty. Again, imagine a traveler in the ancient Near East. There aren't the protections that are afforded in modern-day travel. And so we have to understand that there was this scary exposure as one was traveling. And to to know this truth, this reality, uh, that the foot would not be moved, that the one who keeps us does not slumber, does not sleep. In other words, they are always ready to step in and to be present. And then verses 5 through 6 show us that we have a divine companion, a supernatural companion, one that can actually follow through on the promises that are made, right? Because it is the Lord. In other words, the covenant God of Israel. In other words, Yahweh. In other words, Jehovah, that is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. It's not just a strong person. It's not just someone who has skills that can help you in your travels. No, it is the very Lord himself that is with you. And the sun, which shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. What's going on here? The sun is, is a very real threat. Okay, and we can kind of understand this one somewhat easily living in Georgia in July and August, but imagine living in Georgia in July and August without air conditioning, without the ability to plug a fan in, without uh, a a house to shelter in, without a tent, without modern footwear or 
uh, you know, clothes that magically can cool off in the heat that are sold to us by Under Armour and that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's intense. The sun is dangerous. It, it poses a very real threat. Well, what about the moon? The moon is an imagined threat here to the psalmist. The sun is a very real threat. The moon is an imagined threat. And then the shade on the right hand is speaking uh, to sort of a battle scene in a lot of ways, right? The shield protected the left hand, but your right hand would have the sword was exposed. Yet God is the shade on the right hand. And verses 7 through 8 show us God's protection is unconditional and it is eternal. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I love the way that ends, forevermore. Because of who he is, the ability to keep us is certain. Now these verses, they're true. But I think it's easy actually to miss the point because a lot of times evil seems to win, right? Or cancer seems to win or COVID seems to win or we experience a rejection that we have a hard time shaking. And it seems if you read these verses on first glance that if we are with God, nothing bad will happen. Everything is going to be smooth because we have this divine companion who's watching over us. How or why would he let anything bad happen? Most of us see the psalm and think, wow, that sounds great. But that's not my reality. I don't feel that. I don't feel the shade. I don't feel being kept. The pain that I'm experiencing right now, the struggle, the suffering seems like it is too much. But the truth is, of this is not that our plans won't be thwarted, but that God's won't be, and that it is his kingdom that will flourish. The Luke 21 passage that we read earlier may have seemed like an odd one, but one of the things that I wanted to communicate in reading it, right, is that there is this assumption that we live in a world that is broken, that is set uh, against the principles of the gospel, and because we who are believers in Jesus, live in this world that we will experience hard things, suffering, struggle, etc. And yet at the end of the day, not a head of your hair will perish. All that horrible stuff, all of those verses that it takes, and then right there at the very end, it's so sweet. Not a hair of your head will perish. Wait a minute, you just said there's going to be persecution and terrors and so on and so forth, and not a head on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. It's believing that God's plans are better for us than our plans are for us. And we say that we believe that, but when things get hard, do you really believe that God is keeping you? That he will keep you? That he has kept you? Which is why, again, the end of verse 8 is so key here. This time forth and forevermore. We are kept forevermore. God has the eternal in mind with the present, even though most of the time we just have the present in mind. And so when we read a passage like Romans 8, 28, that God works out for good, those who love him and are called according to his purpose, it is about 
believing that God is using everything that is going on in your life, that has gone on in your life, that will go on in your life, to make you more and more like Jesus for eternity. I want to close just in some ways by considering the beginning of another psalm, Psalm 23, probably the best known passage in all of the Bible, uh, at least sort of culturally speaking. It starts, right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, I shall not want. And the metaphor of the shepherd is key to understanding how God keeps us. It's why John, uh, Jesus' words in John chapter 10 are so beautiful. Listen to what Jesus tells us. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not lay down or does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches him and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. How does God ultimately keep his people? It is by providing a shepherd who will lay his life down for them and save them from sin and shame and harm and give eternal rest. It is the forevermore peace there. That is the extent to which God is willing to go to keep you, to make Psalm 121 a reality. The shepherd lays down his life. Do you know the depth of that love? Do you see present troubles in light of that eternity? That's the way that we find confidence in the Lord. And so I just close again by returning to verse 1. Where does my help come from? Because as I said, none of those words matter unless you get to a point to where you say, I need help. And I need to see my brother and sister in Christ needing help and trusting in the Lord so that collectively together as a body, as a church, we get to experience that beautiful reality together. We are kept by the God of Israel, by the creator of heaven and earth. He protects us, he keeps us, and he does it through his son. And that is something that we can rally around together and worship and praise the Lord for, as we have done and will continue to do this morning. Let me pray. Father, though we just spend a few minutes in a passage like Psalm 121, may we not lose just how powerful it is. I confess, along with others, I hope that I don't think I'm worthy for, of being kept, of being protected. Why would you do that? All that I've done, all that I've said, the anger that I've harbored, the resentment, the jealousy, and yet you do not abandon. You return over and over again and you, you keep, your, your love does not sleep, it does not slumber. Can we live out of that beautiful reality and your son is the promise and the guarantee that it's true help us live out of that help us see our need help us realize that we need help we pray in your son's name amen